patients. Thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. What shit do you want to talk about? And please introduce yourself. Okay. Hi, Jen. Uh, well, thank you for having me on Shit You Don't Want to Talk About podcast. I'm really happy to be here. And um, so I'm Patience. I'm a mindset coach for young people. I work with young people around different subjects, but generally uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to combat in my own way um, generational trauma and uh, support young people to thrive and to um, have the best life they can have um, with all the tools possible. So what would I like to talk about today? I would like to talk about uh, generational trauma and the way um, we carry or the way parents often carry um, uh, things that they haven't dealt with and then they give it to the other generation and in particular in terms of uh, where I come from and my background. So um, African background, um, born and raised in France. Uh, so adding some extra trauma or some extra uh, levels on there and then move to London. So <laughs> if I can talk to you about all of this in this episode, I think we would have won. <laughs> oh, so many good topics to talk about too. I, I think a good place to start would be where are you from? Like you said, you're from France and how did you grow up there and end up in London? Yes. Um, so basically, uh, my parents, I will start with my parents. So my parents are from Togo and from Ghana. And um, they ended up moving to France. And then they met and had me, <laughs> uh, patients there. So I was born and raised in France. I lived there most of my life in between. Uh, I did three years living in Togo in between and then came back to France. And in my... Um, Early adulthood, if I can say that, I moved to London um, following the loss of my mom. As I lost my mom, I was age 16. And uh, I think the trauma was so much and I couldn't talk to, I couldn't really deal with it uh, staying with my dad. I decided to leave France and England was always a country that was dear to me because my mom was um, so Ghanaian. So she had the English side with her and I thought, okay, I'm just going to move there um, for a bit. And I ended up staying here for 20 years. So... And, and that's a good call out too. Uh, you are in the UK, in London, and I am in the States. So also thank you for working on our time zone differences. And I, I, I do remember from our intro call, um, there was a bit about how when your mother passed away, that you really use that to fuel what you're working towards now. And also the grief that came with that, that I don't think a lot of people really think about. Would you be willing to talk to us about that a bit? Yes. Yeah, so, so if I can just quickly go back into what happened. So um, I lost my mom in the summer of 2017. And at the time I was 16 years old. So can you imagine a 16 years old? Um, I was the last baby of the family uh, coming into a uh, if I could say, recomposed family. Um, and so I ended up being by myself with my dad. And what happened at that time is that I realized that there was a lot of things that weren't dealt with in terms of, if I can give an example, like with my dad. So, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if you know, but often in African culture, um, the man has got that, this figure of the man of the family and uh, he carries everything and um, he never really showed how much, um, we never knew how much he loved uh, my mom until he actually lost her mm -hmm. in the sense of like, the, it was so hard for him to deal with the loss of my mom. And that created a lot, a lot of um, 
arguments, a lot of problems between ourselves, um, and that led me to leave the house. But what happened is that uh, I think at some point my dad forgot that I was still a child and I still had some growing up to do and he still had to be there and care for me in that way and nurture me in that way. But he was dealing with his own trauma and his own, um, if I could say, loss. And at that point, he did not have the capacity to support me. And that's when I also realized that in my family or in people around me, not a lot of people had that capacity into supporting me either going through the part of the loss that I was going through. So um, all of this um, all of this led me to seek out my own, um, if I could say, family cocoon, my own, you know, like re... re um, reimagine and redo my own family, um, my own family, we have my own family. And I ended up um, uh, meeting my first husband, who uh, at the time I thought was the man of my life and I was going to stay with him forever, uh, which I didn't uh, realize he was... Um, a narcissistic person and I ended up uh, with my wanting to with my wanting to um, refound or relieve the love that I had when we were all as a family uh, I ended up being with somebody who was abusive and actually took advantage of my naivety and um, me being young um, as he was uh, quite older than me so that led me, uh, all in all, that's not just that reason, but it's part of the reason that led me to right now be in the position where I am, where I support young people so that they can, love, they can develop skills and tools that support them into uh, being their best self, but also being aware of uh, their surrounding and their environment and also being aware of when someone is loving, loving and when someone is loving, abusive or when someone really wants your your best because I can talk about different things not just in terms of like relationship as in uh, husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend or girlfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend but in terms of um, just relationship with people in the workplace. For example, um, for years, I used to say sorry all the time. Okay. Sorry for what? I don't know. But I used to feel that me being there, me being in a position, I was taking space that I, I wasn't supposed to be taking. And all of these came from um, from different, from generational trauma, from things that my parents maybe did not deal with and they weren't able to equip me with. And then I went on to carrying um, this kind of like, um, I wouldn't say weakness, but um, this kind of space where I, I felt like I wasn't worth being there. And I am so grateful that you're here because I know that when we spoke during the intro call that really hit home for me uh, with what happened with your mom and how you saw that it wasn't necessarily like your family wasn't wanting, not wanting to take care of you. It was more like they were dealing with their own loss, which I am fortunate enough to have both of my family and both of my parents. I have had um, death with friends yet I can and that was very, very traumatic for me, but I can only imagine as a parent or a sibling or something like that. And that is, that is very, very difficult to go through. And I just find it so interesting. It's not the right word. It's um, almost like just so powerful. I think that you saw a, that they were doing it because they were taking care of themselves. But also when you went into your when you first got married that it was the you know it was to have that family cocoon I have done that before I have been married I got married when I was 20 divorced when I was 22 and a lot of it was because I didn't see my own worth and I wanted to as you said cocoon and have my family cocoon and feel loved and 
and it just wasn't a, a at all a good match whatsoever. What in you you spoke about relationships, and I think that is a big thing that we could go into. Um, not even the generational part, but in relationships, so many people don't realize that they're in narcissistic relationships. Or for myself, I was able to work through and have better. Um, romantic relationships. Like my partner now is the best partner I've ever had in the healthiest relationship. And that's why I'm able to do this podcast. And yet until this last year, I always found myself in very, very toxic workplaces where I finally figured out friendships came first, then romantic relationships. And now I finally had to work on work. And how do you spot those people? And how do you teach the youth around you to spot people that are not healthy for them. Yeah. And I, oh, I love that you, you, you talked about that because that's especially the, the time that I used to say sorry a lot was at work. <laughs> and that did not help me. Um, that did not help me in the slightest. So I had, um, uh, I, I had the qualities, I had the skills, I had uh, everything to go forth, but I was always, um, I would say, you know, second or last, whichever, uh, but because I, um, I used to say sorry so much and because I believed I was not worth being at that place. So what I realized with my experience and with the skills that I've learned in terms of uh, NLP, in terms of coaching, is that um, first thing first is to know yourself. That's the first thing in everything. Once you get to know yourself, you are able to know what you want and what you need. You are able to distinguish what is good for you and what is isn't, and you are assertive enough to be able to say, hold on, this is not serving me, or this is serving me. And I found that for a for a lot of young people, they are they come to a stage where they are going to school, they are going to uni, or they are going into work um, in different places, and then they come to a stage where they come to a standstill and they can't move forth. And then they start to doubt themselves and they think that they are the ones with the problem or they are the ones not um, having the skills or uh, the ability to go forth, but actually it's because they haven't put um, their worth as the top, the top uh, I would say, the top priority. When you know your worth and when you know what, where you are, what's your vision, where you are thinking of going, from that place on, everything starts to make sense, if I can say it like that. So if I was to come back onto relationship at work, um, in any case, so imagine you can feel and you can sense that someone doesn't like you and um, they tend to have confrontation with you at many times, you will deal differently with it if you have doubt in yourself, then if you know who you are, you would deal, you would deal differently with it and you would take it, um, I would say, in a slightly different way. So, for example, having assertiveness is knowing that this person right here is bullying me, for example. Mm -hmm. This person is harassing me. Or is knowing that this person is just having a joke and we're all having a joke together. And that's happening. Do you understand? And I think that sometimes there's blurred lines between that and the other. And that's where people get confused. And what happens is that um, is what happens is that the joke goes further and further, and you feel like, oh no, this person is still joking when actually they've gone into bullying mode or confrontation mode. And then you end up having to be in a place where it's like I need to fend for myself, but how do I fend for myself? And that's horrible because what happens in the, in that space is that you will be um, you will be last when they think of um, promotion. They won't promote you because they will see you as lacking of confidence. They will see you as lacking of assertiveness. And if you can't um, be 
I wouldn't say behave, behave is the wrong word, but if you can't uh, hold your mm -hmm. own, if I can say it like that, in a team, mm -hmm. you start to become um, a target for most of, I mean, everybody, which is, um, which is why uh, my work is on confidence building, is on knowing yourself and understanding what is uh, important for you and what isn't, knowing your principles and, and standing by your principles. A couple of things that I took away from what you were talking about and for clarification for myself, but also our listeners, you mentioned that how important all of this trust and worthiness work goes uh, with your experience with NLP and with, uh, with coaching. What is NLP? Okay, so NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming, and it's basically a, a, a language that is used in terms of like, um, if I can say it bluntly, reprogramming your mindset. Okay. And um, and taking you okay. from taking you from a place maybe of uh, anxiety to a place of where you are confident and you are able to. Um, go through challenges um, easily. Okay, that that makes a lot more sense. And thank you for that. I I would say for myself, even while, while you're talking about how a lot of this goes for work and with, uh, you know, uni and school. And for myself, I know that I've gotten a lot of feedback that I don't always trust myself. And that's been something I've worked very hard on because it's, I've always struggled with that because I'm like, well, I'm new here, so I must not know what's going on. And even all of the people that I've reported to are always like, Jen, trust your instincts. You're good. Like, you know how to do this. Like, your instincts are really good. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I always second guess myself. And I would love to hear about how do people, uh, you, you talked about that they need to work on themselves and know their vision and know their worth. Yeah, where do people start? Where Where is that, you know, a, a quick tip that you could give people to get started? Yeah, um, well, the way I get <laughs> young people to start is by asking really simple questions. And it's, it, it, like, it's completely unrelated, but it works. Okay. <laughs> so basically is... Um, What's your favorite color? <laughs> what uh, what do you what do you like? What do you dislike? Um, which movie do you watch? Um, which are really like you will think? What are you talking about, patients? Is this working? Yes, it works. So basically, is we start from there, and then from there we start by asking um, reverse question. So. For example, what it is that you want to achieve, yeah? And once the person says what they want to achieve, what makes you think that you can't achieve it? Do you understand? So we start from really basic question, and then we go into much more deeper question, but then we use it in a reverse way. And that means that the person is thinking, well, yes, why can't... I do that. Okay, let's look at the skills that you've got or let's look at the qualities you have that makes it that you can achieve this thing or maybe not achieve it. And why do you think so? So it always comes back to... So in the questioning, I always come back to the person. I do not uh, give you um, answers. <laughs> the answers always come from uh, the person that uh, with whom... I am talking. Uh, however, um, going through this questioning, what happens is that at the end, the person gets to a time, a, a place where they are more confident in themselves and they're more like, oh, hold on, I can do this. I've always been able to do this. So what happened there? But because you've gone through in another way and you've not like put the focus on it, they've not come to the realization until the end. So that's one tip. A second tip that you can do is use like a funnel. So okay. <laughs> I don't know if you, um, I could okay. explain it. <laughs> yeah. So basically is using a funnel. So is asking a question and started, uh, starting 
by asking a question with seven words. And the person has to answer with seven words. And then you go down, you go down, you go down until you get to two or one word. And then at the end, they realize either what's been the catalyst or either what it is that they really want. That would be really hard. I don't even know if I could put a question into seven words. I think I also, I know for myself, I like to use a lot of words. Yes, exactly. So it, this will work for you. So basically, when you're using a lot of words, you can't really pinpoint what is the issue or what it is you want to say. So you talk about it broadly, but broadly could be anything. But then once you start going like through the funnel and that you get to the thing. So for example, if I could give you an example of one time I did it with a young person and um, they were saying, they went from saying like they would like to have a house or, you know, a house when they, they are um, um, in an adult uh, place when they, they can have the house. They would like to have a house. And actually, by going through the funnel, we got to actually they wanted to have safety and security. Okay. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. So okay. they would never come and yeah, say, yeah. I want safety. They would never come and say, I want safety or I want security. But that's what came out of the funnel. Interesting. Okay. And now that we've dug in a bit more there and how to work through, you know, relationships in general, how do you see or help with generational trauma? Because I feel like I'm fortunate enough that I get to really see that as uh, I've learned more about my family history, but a lot of people don't realize how their parents or their grandparents have affected their life. How do people look into that? Yeah, I think um, once it's a mirror. So it's using a, um, a mirror, if I can say a mirror action, so basically you are going um, you are going into the conversation and asking questions about what they feel, how they feel deep inside. So basically, uh, if I can say it like that, a lot of people, um, I'm going to use money because I also work with money mindset, yeah? So... Um, money mindset and generational trauma, what happens uh, is parents um, have gone through their life with their challenges. Uh, they've been maybe sometimes, um, as people say, knocked down by life and they haven't been able to have a successful life. They haven't been able to have success in terms of finances and they are often in the same circle of like, uh, I'm counting the money at the end of the month. I'm counting the money of the end of the month, or sometimes even um, before the end of the month, I don't have any money. And this is a circle. This is a circle of like not allowing yourself to have enough, not allowing you, not being comfortable in that place where you have enough money set aside that it doesn't matter how much you earn. So you could earn hundred. Um, I will, I will use pounds here, 100 pounds, and you will still struggle. And um, you could use maybe 10,000 pounds, and you will still struggle at the end of the month. It's a circle. It's this thing of, being, of saying, I'm not worth having this. This is not my life. This is not something that uh, I've been used to. My parents never had this, so how can I have that? So it's, have, it's not having been given the permission. But you need to understand that the permission can only be coming from you. And once you take that um, step and you give yourself permission, then it means that other generations to come will also be able to take that step and take their own, um, if I can say, ownership of, in, for example, money. It- does it does it, it make does sense? make sense and this has been a theme that we've I've actually been seeing throughout a few episodes of almost that mindset of scarcity versus abundance 
where if it's in the mindset of scarcity, we, at least I've done it for myself of, I'll spend all the money I have because I'm too afraid that I don't know where it will come next. Whereas it's taken a long time for me to learn that I don't have to do what my parents did with money. And I now have a healthier, (laughs) can't say perfect, but healthier relationship with money. Uh, I'm very, I look forward to it. We'll, uh, We'll also be having a financial coach on the podcast that goes into deeper about the financial standpoint on uh, the mindset around money. One, yes, money is a a very easy key to talk about. What I'm also wondering if you've had experience in this and what you may suggest of for generational trauma can also happen in uh, emotionally, but also um, systemically, uh, especially, I know, um, I know that you're in the UK and, um, from France, I know here in the U S this is something that generationally and systemically, we still have people of color that deal with these issues and it can be dismissed so easily. And do you have any thoughts on how people can work up through that? Yes. Um, one, one. Um, well, the first thing is talking about it, <laughs> and uh, as we are doing right now, is talking about things that people don't want to talk about. So, um, if I was to give you an example of um, things that happened in my life, uh, or in my, if I can say, carried over generation, is that my my mom. Um, so basically my mom uh, was married to somebody before she met uh, my dad. I think they were together, but they were not married, but they had children together. And what happened is that she was in an abusive relationship. Um, But what happened along the lines is that even though she talked about the story, um, there was, was there a learning? I'm not sure because I got into the same uh, pattern myself. The only way I broke free, I broke free to that pattern was after I had been hurt and after uh, I came to my limit. But how can people um, see from their, themselves, see from themselves what has been happening before and what's happened in generation previously, and say, no, this will not happen with me and I will move away. This is not something that I want to um, be um, associated with, if I can say. Yeah, can yeah. Like that, yeah. <laughs> associated with. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. <laughs> uh, and being associated with is by, I would say, I know that it can sound so, um, I don't want to say woo-woo, <laughs> but it can sound a little bit woo-woo um, to say, that you need to hold a vision for yourself. But basically, you do. You do need to have a vision of yourself and you do need to see where you are seeing yourself. A lot of people, like young people, are telling me, I don't want to end up like my dad or I don't want to end up like my mom. Which steps do you feel that you're going to take or which way you're going to act in order to not be like to not be or to not go through what your parents have gone through. This is something that, um, this is where the conversation gets real. So it's really easy. So if I have to go through much uh, a, a more deeper way uh, in terms of like domestic, um, domestic violence, for example, um, you see that some often young people, um, because I've worked with young people who were abused, but also who were the abusers, yeah? Um, Young people often have seen this happening and they've seen it as the norm and they've decided that this was the way to, um, they've decided that this was the way that they were going to carry on because this is the way they had seen it. Unfortunately, uh, we all know that um, 
you, you, we all know that going through uh, something that you, because you've seen it, doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do, isn't it? So in that side, I feel like um, for me, you have to, it's, it's all coming to the worth. What is it that you are worth? What is it that is your vision? What is it, where do you see yourself? And when you see yourself, how do people who are already in that place, how do they act? Do they act in the way that you believe is that is that way? You have to understand that not because your parents are your parents, they don't necessarily have to be your um your role model, if I can say it like that. Being a role model is not just being there. That's not what being a role model is. Being, being a role model is actually modeling what you feel is going to be positive and what's going to bring a positive impact in someone's life. So if you see someone suffering, is that really a positive impact? No. But it's having this conversation and really going deep with that person on a one-to-one and, uh, and going through small steps and breaking down the steps. So if I was to give you an example of a young person I work with, so basically um, the mother, um, the parents are in a relationship, but they are not um, happy together. Uh, they are in a relationship where uh, they are not really living as a family unit, but mostly the the mother is taking the role of everyone, and the dad is there, but is not really present into the family unit. What this what uh, this has brought is that the young person has been looking for love somewhere else. Why did she look for love somewhere else? Because she did not see it. Uh, where she is in her environment. So she went looking for it somewhere else. And what happened is that she ended up into a series of misadventures, um, which were not um, good for her, for her health, for her safety, and and also on the legal side. Uh, The mother discovered this, and the mother started to... feel guilty because she felt that she was the she was the catalyst of what happened to her daughter um i believe that in both ways uh, there is no um culprit if i can say it culprit yes there's no culprit um into what it is that has happened but it's understanding that where you are coming from you are coming from a place where you want things to be better and it's looking at what it is that you need to pose as act that will go with that vision. So for me, I, I will say this is the answer. Okay. And and thank you for that. I I like how it's its own individual where you, in I'm, see if I paraphrase it the correct way, is, is that if you're you're seeing something that you're not liking and or something that is in your past or your your parental unit or your family unit and you're wanting to change it is to see what people you see have that lifestyle that you want and see if what your actions and what your behaviors match their behaviors and what steps to take to be able to change that. In in uh, so basically is that okay. <laughs> is, is that in a whole okay. um, is that in a whole but it's also um, it's, it has to be linked to your vision so it has to be linked to what it is that you want to portray what it is that you want to be and I have to be um, I think we have to be brutally honest here not everyone wants to be portrayed as um, somebody who's good or somebody who's, um, who has um, maybe, who doesn't, if I can use fight or, right. you know, who is not violent. Not every, right. not everyone has got that, um, that, um, 
life thinking. A lot of people, uh, I was, uh, I don't want to say a lot of people, but often people also have this idea that to get through um, certain things, they got, they've got to be aggressive and they've got to go um, with a, a, in a violent way, which is not the way, but this is part of life. Like you, you have people out there who have that thing. And, uh, and thinking that, oh, because you have the vision or because uh, you're rolling, you have the role model of um, the role model and the vision, it's not only that that will help somebody break through the generational trauma. It's also like steps in terms of themselves, like that's where we will use like mindfulness and understanding the simple things of life and how those things um, can ground you and from there how you are able to show up as well. So there is different habits that you put in place and on a daily basis you kind of do so that you get to that place. But basically, yes. Uh, the two things that will uh, be at the forefront will be having a role model, somebody who you, who you can see as a mentor, but also having this vision for yourself. Great. Thank you. And that's more on an individual level. And do you see anything that we can do on more... And, Give me a second. Let me work on phrasing this question because to me, in my opinion, to be able to work on systemic issues, we need to start with individuals because individuals are what make a system and, you know, a country. <laughs> uh, yet so many and being in politics is definitely not where I want to go with any of this yet. There is definitely, you know, systemic issues in, in all countries. It's, um, Okay, maybe not in all countries, but <laughs> at least in some uh, first world countries. <laughs> um, what what are steps? Do you know of any steps that we can work towards to be able to, with individuals that we may not have a chance to have that one-to-one relationship? Like, I don't think I'm going to, I would love to, but I don't think I'm going to be able to interview everyone for my podcast. That would be awesome. I could have a daily podcast and never run out of content. <laughs> um, yet it's changing the systemic issues we have, that that is something that we all need to take action towards and what we believe in. And that, at least to myself, one part of it is uh, the racial biases that we have. And that is something that does come up in, in most countries. And that is something that I would Love to hear how, if you have any suggestions on how we work towards that, on breaking that generational trauma to, of more of that systemic issue instead of uh, as an individual basis. Okay. I understand what you're saying <laughs> and you're not going to like my I, answer. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, it goes... I, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it goes back to the individual, okay. um, but I would say I think okay. uh, I, I think is when I say go back to the individual, I mean in the terms of um, being part of the community. So um, a lot of a lot of things happen often because there's isolation. Uh, the more you are within the community, the more you take part in things that are happening in your city or in, um, I would say, in your school. Not not things that you've been forced mm -hmm. to be to do to do. You know, like everyone has to go to school. Not that. Not yeah. in that way. But putting yourself in. Um, I don't like saying out of your comfort zone because everybody needs to have this certain comfort zone. It's important to have it. But it's going out of your comfort zone and going to go, going to see other people. How do they live? How do they, um, you know, get accustomed to how their culture is? Like, for example, um, and just giving you that example, in France, there is a lot of racism. There's a lot of racism, um, and it you can see it um, because most of the uh, the groups that are um, that are 
the et ethnicity group or ethnic group that are um, uh, feeling, you know, this, um, the, I mean, I'm looking for my words here. <laughs> um, but basically, the groups, uh, the minority or the, et I don't like to say minority, but the ethnic groups that are at the forefront of the racism uh, often are uh, um, black people and um, black people um, lately, a couple of years, there's been the Asian people and also um, Arabic people, uh, mostly in France. And often they come from um, families, uh, not all the time, but most of the time they come from families that are poor. Um, they dress a certain way, which is the same way as everybody dresses. Uh, so basically they are uh, profiled, you know, like people are seeing them, like police officers will automatically stop certain individuals, even though they haven't done anything, just because of the way they look. And this has happened a lot. But I feel like it's, it's a weird way. In a weird way, I feel like being in France, I knew more about other cultures than I do now. We were all mixed together. Like when there was an um, Islamic, um, you know, party or celebration, uh, everybody would come and, and um, offer the couscous to your neighbor or offer, you know, the cakes to your neighbor. There was this kind of, um, I was brought up in this, this way. And a lot of people in France were brought up in that way. And still, in France, there is a lot of racism. Like you go to um, a job, you go to other places, and it's still there. But one thing I realized is that when um, uh, everybody is put in a box, nobody is mixing themselves. Do you understand? So the people who are kind of like coming away from that are people who are going into other uh, places, who are, who are trying to see other things. But most of everyone, they stay in their community and they stay in that same box. And um, if I can say box, but basically they stay at the same place. And I think this is why um, people have this difficulty of understanding and getting empathetic empathetic with others, you know, and having, so the more you are mixed, the more you are going to uh, learn about other cultures, learn about other people, go into the community. For example, um, for young people, I always say that it's good to volunteer, but also not volunteer just in the place where they will be happy, like a music festival, but also volunteering maybe at the, um, the age age concern, like the, the place where there's maybe old people, older people are staying, or even people who, are, uh, who have a disability, you know, and understand it where they're coming from and how they are um, living. And I think in a, in a bigger way, this is what's happening. And I think there's a, um, I don't want to say big words here, but ignorance. <laughs> ignorance is what's coming to my mind. Uh, I feel that there is ignorance. <laughs> And I feel like the more um, everybody go and learn about other people, the more less there will be um, of um, of this racism um, system, and also the more um, empathy will there will be more empathy. I would say this is my um, my take. On Thank this. you. And as you were sharing that, it actually made me realize that of how to connect the individual to the systemic uh, way. And I just realized even as you, as you were talking to you, uh, for the, this is my own understanding of systemic issues. So uh, for our listeners, so please like maybe go Google it after this, just to make sure it's the right understanding. But systemic issues are issues that are part of our processes in the government, in law enforcement, in uh, schools. Those are all issues that uh, could have come from, uh, especially racism. Uh, one that I know within the US is called redlining because back when uh, parts of the country were being built, they would only allow uh, 
black people within redlined areas. And that, that is why like there was a huge divide. And that is my understanding of systemic issues uh, and systemic racism. Now, going back into what you were saying, patients, I just wanted to throw that out there. I realized that not everyone might know what systemic uh, issues are. Uh, I love the fact that you grew up in an area where everyone had an opportunity to get to know people of other backgrounds. And there, I have two thoughts on this one. I found this for myself of there is such a thing as intellectual burden, meaning that let's say that I have patients, you're like my token person that I'm going to ask you all the issues of black people ever. That is an intellectual burden because that is not your job to educate me as a white person. That is not, I can use Google, <laughs> you know, and I had to learn this the hard way. And I just want to say to all our listeners, like definitely ask questions about different cultures that you don't know. Just people aren't required to answer you. At the same time, you aren't required to answer other people. For all of our listeners, I just really want to throw that out there. And I love that fact that even though that was a really, really hard thing for me to learn, I love that I was able to learn that because it also taught me to be much more respectful because I am lucky enough to have such a good friend that is Islamic. I met her while I was uh, sent to Europe for work. Uh, she lives in Germany and she has two kids and they are mixed race. And it was just such a a cool time because I have traveled with her and her kids and she took the time to explain different parts of her religion and why she does wear a hijab and how she's teaching her kids. And she took me to uh, a few of the Islamic parties that they had. And it was so eye-opening to see all of these differences and yet similarities of what where I was brought. And I feel fortunate because she would call me out if she's like, Jen, you're being a little rude right now. Oh, my bad. All right, let me rewind it and just being open to that. So I just really want our listeners to hear that, that you can definitely have that curiosity and that openness. Yet, if you cross somebody's boundaries, just, you know, take a step back and please don't push. <laughs> and has that happened to you? Like, is that something that um, when you've been curious about other other cultures or anything that you've you've found that you have to find out information from other places? Um I think I think um, um to be honest with you, I'm someone who's really curious. So I will go and um I will go and Google things or I will go and research things. But it's true that um Going into, for example, another country, um, I will maybe want to. I will want to be with the lo people who are local. I wouldn't want to be in the touristic area, um, except when I want to. Uh, except when I want to be. Um, I will, when I'm doing self care. When I self care, <laughs> I go to touristic areas uh, mostly because I don't want. I don't really want to. Uh, do much, you know, I just want everything done for me. But on another note, um, I we always travel, mostly we always travel where we're going to stay with locals. So basically we go to local places. We actually make an effort to learn the language, at least a few sentences um, where we are going. Even um, I went because, uh, sorry, I said we, we, I'm talking about my husband and my kids, but basically um, we went to Madeira. We can't speak Portuguese, but still we managed. We learned a few sentences and we stayed with locals. So we were at the end of the, uh, at the end of the, how many days we were there, we were actually part of the Aww. village where we were staying and people were like, hola, hola. And, you know, like this kind of things. But, but I feel like that's always been my approach um, into go, being with people and being open with people. But I get that it, it's not everyone's approach either. So I don't, mm -hmm. do you see what I'm saying? It's a fine line of to say to people like this or that. But I feel like um, 
especially lately with everything that's been happening and which is one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this work with young people as well, is that a lot more um, people um, are being more uh, interested into understanding more about what, for example, I am going through. Um, a lot more people are empathetic to what I'm going through as a black person, um, not to, you know, as a black person, but as a black woman as well, um, where I am right now. Um, I found this more since, unfortunately, the George Floyd incident, more than I've seen it before. I have to be honest um, on that, on this side. I... And my heart goes out to, I don't even know how to say it, of the fact that we needed something so horrific to happen to be able to shine light on something that's been happening for like generations, I think is the best way to say it. Like it's only been what a hundred years, maybe I should know my times better, but it's something that I hate that it took till 2020 for that to happen. And yet it, I, I am grateful that there is more awareness that people are learning about what white fragility is. And yet I love that you said that people are being more empathetic to who you are as a black woman. And I am also curious of how would you explain your view of the world as a black woman? Well, okay. <laughs> um, I think. <laughs> well, I I think for me, I I am. I don't. Okay, I I really don't want to sound cliche here, but I see the good everywhere. Uh, for me, I see the good first until you show me otherwise that the is bad. So, and I've always been like that. But I think um, twenty years ago. You could have added this with naivety, where now I'm I'm really aware of where I am. I'm aware of what's happening. I can sense when people are being genuine. I can see uh, when people are welcoming. I can find when I'm not welcome some uh, in a place. To be honest with you, uh, there's still racist. Um, I've still gone. We're still going through racist incidents. Um, all the time. Like just last Saturday, uh, I went through a um, racist, um, we went through something racist with my husband um, recently here in London. So like things are still happening everywhere. And I don't think um, it's going to go away in, in just now, but I think it's getting better and better. And uh, to be honest with you, there's been a lot of opportunities that have opened up as well for um, for women to come forth and tell their stories and be there. And, and also for people to acknowledge, like you've just acknowledged that um, you've done certain things, you, you've tried to educate yourself. A lot of, of people are going through the same the same process they are also educating themselves um like for example um going through this thing where i don't know if you've seen this somewhere but sometimes people joke about like oh can i touch your hair oh what is it made of okay you don't have mm -hmm. to touch my hair i don't touch mm -hmm. your hair when i come and see you you know like mm -hmm. like like things like that and i know it can sound so like oh but it's just because i wanted to know but no other no one is coming to you and going like, oh, can I touch your hair? And the way it looks, I like, I like it. No. So it's just this, this um, respect. There's much more um, respect, but there's also still things happening that we need to work on. And unfortunately, being a black person, I'm always going to be aware of where I am, of my surroundings. Uh, same, things, same thing goes for my children. I'm always going to look out even more into what's happening with them in any in any sense. So whether they are in education or in going on to um, a leisurely um, place, 
you will still have things happening to and you. I, so this is, we will still, I, yeah. No, go sorry. ahead. <laughs> go on. <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah, I, think, I think we are still really deep into the issue. The, is, the issue is still really deep there. And I think that uh, it might take generation to come. But what I'm seeing is I'm seeing much more um, of people being out there and really advocating for the for equality, you know, for everyone to be treated the same. And that's important. And I think the more people are coming through and they're telling their stories and they're explaining, I've gone through this and this has happened to me and this and that, and the more um, people are going to be empathetic and change and evolve into a positive mindset. And I appreciate so much that we started with your work with young people. And it's to bring it all back around, what the work you do with young people to find their worthiness, to find their truth, to find, to trust themselves is what's going to slowly change all of these issues that we're talking about. Because when we honor ourselves and our take care of ourselves and our rest and all self-care and uh, knowing what we're, our vision is, we are able to be there for other people when we're there for ourselves. And shout out to patients again, uh, because to those uh, listening right now, patients postpone, let me postpone a call to the next day because I was feeling very unwell yesterday. And I appreciate that because I know that if I did the podcast recording yesterday, I wouldn't have been 100% there for patients to be on this podcast. And I want to make sure that I'm there for her, which means I have to make take care of myself. And patients, I could only imagine that you feel that way about your husband and your children and those you, you advocate for. You have to take care of yourself first. Definitely. Um, this is one of my, <laughs> this is one of my other passions, <laughs> if I can say it like that, is, uh, <laughs> is, uh, is uh, telling people that they need to take care of themselves first and they need to really, and when I say taking care of yourself, it's not just taking care of yourself in terms of like, um, oh, today um, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm going to be really blunt, but today I put some... Um, a mask on and uh, and you know and I uh, took five minutes and and uh, that's it I took care of myself no it's going a, a bit more deeper than that you know using some techniques like um, again I'm going to come into mindfulness but meditation is really good in terms of grounding so the time that you take to stop and to really um, you know just be in a space by yourself um, in your silence, if I can say it like that, and you take your time to really um, come with the breath and really understanding that your body and how it's going through, you are already taking care of yourself in that way. And it's creating that habit. Um, it's always an habit. So it's creating that habit on a daily basis and doing things that uh, fuel you, you know, things that um, bring you uh, this in you. So when you talk about yesterday, you needed that space, yeah? So you needed that space and you recognize you needed that space. Um, uh, it would, could be another person that will say, I need that space, but no, no, no. I need to have that recording done. It has to be done on schedule and this and that. And, and that will build on and build and build and build until the person will come mm -hmm. to burnout. So um, I applaud you for, for saying no. I have to take care of myself. And to be honest, there was nothing I was going to say. I wasn't going to say, no, you da, da, da. Yes, that's fine. And thank <laughs> you. Thank you, patience, for your patience. I'm sorry. I, I, I had a career coach. Uh, I, I still talk to him. His name is Taylor. So anytime he, I say, oh, yeah, you have to tailor it for someone, I giggle too. I just love when it like their names can go into a sentence. Um, well, thank you. 
Thank you, patients, today. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you wanted to cover that we didn't cover? Um, I think oh, there's so much more I would like to say. I, I guess I guess there's so much more I would like to say. Um, but if I could say something, so basically, I don't have the actual um, the actual statistic with me. Um, I didn't plan to say that, but I think it's something really important in terms of like confidence. So there is a report that has been done in terms of confidence that shows that. Um, especially um, on the confidence level. So when you think of young boy or young girls, uh, often young girls achieve um, better in terms of statistics into schools and academics. But when they get through to uh, adulthood, um, they have difficulties in um, going forth in their career and really going uh, further because they lack this confidence. So I will say um, this is a message to any young girls out there. <laughs> uh, if you are there and you're listening to me today, try and find somebody uh, in your community or next to you that you can work with on your confidence and um, really trust yourself and be sure that you've got all abilities and that you have, there's no need for you to start at zero and to go to one step, one step, one step. You could actually start at step 50 and be right there and ready for it. So uh, that's my message for young girls. All right. <laughs> and as a heads up, everyone, um, A, my nose has been going crazy because it's the morning here. So apologies for everyone listening if I'm like super sniffly. Um, <laughs> and that I will be adding, uh, patients, patients, patient, how do I say your name, uh, as ownership patients, uh, uh, anyway, I'll be adding her stuff to the content, uh, resources page on the website. So that way you can reach out to her. She'll be tagged in everything on social media. And I know that you gave a shout out to girls. Is there any words of encouragement that you'd like to add to that or any words of encouragement for everyone? For boys as well, yeah. For boys or for everyone. Who, people who doesn't, who don't um, uh, identify as um, a boy or a girl. Um, I think like it, it all comes to know your worth, know, know your worth and know your vision and know that your vision, even though it's far from where you are right now, can happen. You just have to hold on to it. And if I can say something as well, if I can give you a little exercise that um, you people can do, it's called the swish. <laughs> it's called the swish effect, yeah? So basically, it's um, having like a... Um, it's as if you are viewing a screen. Uh, so you're looking at the screen and on that screen, like you're on the cinema yeah, or you're watching TV. And on that screen, you see yourself and you see yourself where you are right now. And that screen is huge, it's big. So it's taking the whole, the whole um, space. yeah. And then into the little corner of your right hand, um, just below, you have a really small screen and that small screen has got your perfect life or your perfect vision that you see for yourself. So what I want you to do is to close your eyes and really visualize um, that the, the, big, the big one and the small one in your um, right hand below. And then to go, basically, to go swish. And as you go swish, the small one becomes bigger, the small vision becomes bigger and it crashes into the big. And you have to do it really quickly. So you go swish, 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 swish. And every time you say swish, this big um, vision is breaking up. So you are breaking this vision of yourself right now, which is not the best one. And you are bringing the best version of yourself in front of you. And you have to do it quick, 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 quick. But um, do it do it seven times for one time and seven times each time you want to redo it. And that helps you to hold that vision of the the better self, the better you um, in front I of you. I love that. 
And, <laughs> and last question for you, patients. And what and is something that you're grateful for? You for? Yeah. What is something that you're grateful for? What am I? Oh, oh my gosh. I'm grateful for a lot of things. Um, but basically, I would say that I am grateful for laughter. I'm grateful for joy. I'm grateful for um, every little things that um, help me hold on. So um, I think there's joy in everything. There's joy in everything. You just have to see it. So I'm grateful for that. <laughs> I love it. I, and I'm grateful for learning that, learning how to release the guilt that I've always had for self-care and trusting myself that if someone is meant to be on the podcast, that they will understand that I need to postpone. They will. And thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so and much. Bye, patients. <laughs>